Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Number one team, according to the selection committee, is Mississippi State. Alabama has knocked off Mississippi State. There's going to be a new number one. Number one team, the Clemson Tigers. Alabama back on top of the college football world. The number one team is Alabama. Watson. Touchdown! Clemson to the top. Ohio State number one. fires to the end zone. It's intercepted. The number one team is the Georgia Bulldogs. Georgia has won the national championship. Out of the tunnel on this Tuesday afternoon, the first college football rankings of the season will be revealed tonight. History repeats itself. That's good news for the top team. Seven of the eight number one teams in the initial rankings each season have reached the college football playoff. We'll have a live report from Grapevine, Texas. After less than two turbulent seasons, Auburn parts ways with Brian Harson after losing to Arkansas at home over the weekend. The Tigers dropped to three and five, in danger of missing a bowl game for the first time since 2012. Georgia linebacker Nolan Smith, the top-ranked Bulldogs' leading pass rusher, is out for the rest of the season, courtesy of a torn right pectoral muscle. He will have surgery on Thursday in Athens, expected to make a full recovery. And four players on the Michigan State squad have been suspended as part of the melee that unfolded in the Michigan Stadium tunnel after their loss to Michigan. Those players expected to remain suspended until the investigation is complete. Welcome to College Football Live. I'm Wendy Nix, and that is where we start this afternoon with that unfortunate event that did unfold just shortly after Michigan State lost to Michigan. It happened, of course, in the Michigan Stadium Tunnel. Here's what happened. Harbaugh says defensive back Jimon Green was punched by a Spartan in the tunnel and that his teammate, Jaden McBurrows, was attacked when he tried to help. The investigation clearly unfolding, but there is video evidence and the fallout has been swift. Here's Jim Harbaugh. I can't imagine that this will not result in criminal charges. The videos are, uh, are, uh, are bad. And um, it's clear what, what transpired. It seems uh, very, very open and shut. You know, as they say, uh, watch the tape. I don't buy any um, excuse that's going to be laid off on the rivalry or the tunnel or uh, any, any other thing that somebody could possibly blame. These are the actions of, of these individuals, and they need to be accountable for them. I made a decision. I made a decision to suspend players based upon video evidence that was provi- provided to me and our athletic director yesterday. These suspensions will remain in place until the investigations are completed. 
the tunnel's been in existence for nearly 100 years. When it comes to the halftime, uh, there's a there's a specific procedure. The visiting team is closest to the uh, to the tunnel. They exit and go up the tunnel first. Um, Michigan team comes to about half field, just past half field, uh, forms almost a, uh, a crescent moon. Uh, wait till all the the uh, the visitors and their staff have gone into the tunnel. Once they're into the tunnel, completely into the tunnel. And the Michigan's team starts moving into the tunnel. The other team goes up to the tunnel. They turn left, go into their locker room. The Michigan team follows and then goes into, goes into our tunnel. After the game, we've never had any kind of incident. Uh, and, that's, and that's, those are the people that are accountable. That, I mean, the video shows, you know, four, five, six on one. And four, five, six on another, dragging them into uh, a Jaden was was pulled into a. Uh, well, you saw it. You're some uh, where the where the media is in that hallway. I'm joined now by Greg McElroy and Desmond Howard. And Des, I'll start with you. Obviously, you're quite familiar with that tunnel, with the setup. I, you know, I, I understand the argument folks are trying to make already about just don't do the tunnel thing, whatever. But you know, it really, this is a bigger issue, I think, than just that. Yeah, the, the, the issue isn't the tunnel. Um, that's just what we call deflection. Um, when you don't want to address the real issue, then you, you, you find something to try to deflect away from it, and that's going to be the tunnel. Um, the tunnel's been ex in existence for almost 100 years. I've gone up and down that tunnel for four years with um, opponents without incident. Um, I think that's just something that people are using so they cannot have to address human behavior, because that's the issue here. It's human behavior. And they try to talk about what happened a few weeks ago with uh, Penn State and James Franklin, which James Franklin instigated himself. But what, what happened? Someone threw a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. So you want to compare that to two players getting jumped by another team? I mean, you're comparing oranges to grenades, literally. I mean, it has no argument, no place whatsoever. But if you want to deflect, then that's what you do. The real issue is, why were these young men sitting here, out, standing there, attacking these Michigan football players? And then you have this guy. This is Ben Mathers, okay? Look at the energy, big boy energy before the game, telling the ABC cameras to get back, get back. He's the director of football operations. But then when the fight broke out, we have the same guy who's actually running away from the fight. He, scur he scurries away, and he dips into a locker room. This is, this is Ben Mathers, director of operations, right here. He's an authority figure for Michigan State football. He's director of football ops. He runs away. All of those adults who are in the hallway, to me, should be held accountable for their actions or lack thereof because they should have ran in there and broke up this, this fight, this jumping of these two Michigan football players. But they did absolutely nothing, and no one's holding them accountable. But yet you want to blame it on the tunnel. I tell you what, if you were out at dinner and you were inside of a restaurant, you looked outside the restaurant, and you saw four men jumping on one, one man, you know what you would expect next? Red and blue lights 
and you expect them to be arrested. So when Coach Harbaugh says that, you know, he thinks this will lead to charges, I don't even understand how they were able to get on the bus to go back to East Lansing with their team with those, that type of activity that they was a part of. So, Wendy, um, it's, it's, it's victim-blaming when you look at the, the two players and you say, well, what were they doing by themselves? If you were uh, out with your girlfriends out at a restaurant or at a party and one of your girlfriends went to look into something or have a phone call, and while she was away from you, she was assaulted by three men. The first question you, you're going to ask isn't going to be, why was she by herself? Because she can be by herself to take a phone call. So that's victim blaming, to even mention or even to, to insinuate, well, why was those guys by themselves? Because that's their home stadium. Well, they it doesn't matter. You know, they you're were right. done with the celebration. You're right. And they wanted to go, right, it, it, exactly. So um, there's just so much to unpack there, Wendy. But at the end of the day, it has absolutely nothing to do, in my opinion, with the tunnel. It's all about addressing human behavior, which was egregious and extremely disturbing. And Greg, look, I, I think we have to underscore that this has nothing to do with who you're a fan of, where you went to college, you know, where wh what, what resonates with you. I mean, this is a situation that no matter what your perspective is, is, is terrible optics, Greg, for college football. We really can't have it. Well, when you think about it, I mean, as football players, it's a challenge, right? I mean, there is a schizophrenic nature to approaching the game where combat and physicality and, for lack of a better word, brute force is used over and over and over again in an effort to inflict pain on the opposition, right? But that's between the white lines. It's challenging at times for some of those guys to flip that switch when they get outside the white lines. And I think what happened in Michigan Stadium is embarrassing. Uh, I think it's an awful look for Michigan State. But I don't want to paint a picture and characterize the entire team as being led like I've seen some do already. People are suggesting that Mel Tucker and his whole team are a bunch of guys that don't like to follow the rules, don't like to listen, don't like to do it. No, there were four individuals that engaged in the behavior, and there were a handful of individuals that were engaged in the behavior. I will not characterize an entire program as being dirty, poorly led, poorly driven, all these other things. I think that those individuals are responsible exclusively for their own behavior, and Des, they ultimately will pay the price for said behavior, but ultimately it's it's a terrible look. There's no denying that, and it's a black eye on what's been a, a proud and historically great rivalry. Yeah, and, you know, you mentioned the number four players, and when I first saw that, I, I, it was almost laughable because when you look at the video, there's, like, two separate incidents, and the first one, you can see at least five or six players, like, punching, kicking, you know, slinging this player on the ground, at least five or six. And then the second video, you see another three or four with one swinging a helmet to hit the, um, the Michigan player. So I hope that four is just the beginning and that's not the final number because that's just asinine that you're only going to suspend four players. And here's the director of ops right here, Ben Mathers, again, running away from the scene, who's an authority figure who didn't, you know, intervene, which I think... I think that Mel Tucker and uh, Michigan State should give him an opportunity to step in front of the mics and explain himself, explain his behavior, because that's, um, as an adult, that's 
that's uh, utterly ridiculous to see him run away from um, from the fight. Uh, well, look, this, this is a discussion that needs to continue, no doubt will continue. And to your point, Des, you mentioned the number four. That's because four players have been suspended. At least those four for right now will remain so until we have more information. Still to come on College Football Live on this Tuesday afternoon, we've got resumes, eye tests, strength of schedules. What? Which of those will determine this year's top four? We'll have a live report from the College Football Playoff Selection Central. Plus, it was over really before it began, but now it's officially ended the Brian Harson era at Auburn. We will look at what Auburn needs to do before moving on to his replacement. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time now for this week's ultimate performance presented by BMW. And what a performance this was for the Tennessee Volunteers defense. Three interceptions, four sacks, and under five yards per pass and per rush in their 44-6 blowout win over Kentucky on Saturday. Right now, you're looking at the room where it all happens. The College Football Playoff Selection Committee meeting today in Grapevine, Texas. And tonight, they give us their first top 25 of the 2022 season, all in anticipation of eventually choosing the final four teams who will vie for a national championship. Our college football playoff reporter, Heather Denich, is in Grapevine, Texas, where these meetings are taking place. Heather, always an interesting day, even round one. Uh, Talk a little bit about some of the factors this committee will be debating today. Well, it starts at number one. I mean, I can't remember in recent years where there's ever been such a question mark around it. And if they like resume, no team in the country has a better case for that number one spot than Tennessee. They're number one in ESPN's strength of record metric. They have the best win in the country against Alabama. They're coming off their most complete performance of the season in the win against Kentucky. But Georgia has been playing consistently complete on both sides, second in the FBS in defense. But, Wendy, I still would not rule out Ohio State as a potential number one team because the selection committee loves convincing wins, and they are winning by an average of 32 points per game. Well, that's just it, right? What, what do you weight more heavily? Uh, Des, if you're, if you're the Clemson Tigers, how concerned should you be? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, that's why I wanted to ask Heather because uh, Heather does such a great job of uh, pulling information out of these meetings. And I wanted to ask you if, uh, yeah, if you're, if you're Clemson, how concerned should you be? Well, if you look at the debate for that number four spot, Clemson should be very concerned because Michigan is defensively right behind Georgia, allowing just 11 points per game. 
And when you look at Clemson's resume, they're in good shape because they should have three wins against CFP top 25 teams. NC State, Wake Forest, and Syracuse. But, Des, if you've been watching Clemson, which I know you have closely every week, they are not winning convincingly. And Wake Forest just turned the ball over eight times in a mind-blowing loss to Louisville. And then you have Syracuse losing to Notre Dame. So those wins got devalued a little bit. I'm wondering if one loss Alabama is ahead of them. And then, of course, you've got undefeated TCU saying, hey, what about us, guys? And TCU's offense, as you know, has been so explosive and fun to watch with their quarterback, Max Duggan. 12 touchdowns of 50 yards or more leads the FBS. But of all these undefeated teams we're talking about, guys, TCU's playing the worst defense. It's fascinating, really, Greg. We love chaos, so now we have a little bit anyway, at least for now, although we got a long way to go. But uh, when you when you listen to all this, what will you be watching for tonight? Uh, I want to see where TCU is relative to both Alabama and Clemson. Look, uh, all three teams have had moments in which they don't look as good. TCU, however, their resume is stronger than any of the other two teams. Now, does TCU have as many NFL players on their roster? No. Uh, are they going to look as good getting off the bus? No. As Clemson and Alabama? Absolutely not. But ultimately, their resume is stronger. Therefore, they should be ahead of both Clemson and Alabama. And I'm going to be a little bit troubled, y'all. I'm just telling you right now, ahead of time, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to go on a rant tonight. Just get prepared. <laughs> if TCU is sitting behind those two teams, I am not afraid to throw out the fact that people are looking at Clemson and Alabama through the lens of what happened from 2016 to 2020. Like, these teams right now, Clemson yeah, true, and Alabama, true. they're not the Bama and Clemson teams of 2015, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. No, they're not the same. They're inconsistent. Great they point. have holes. Great point. They have flaws. They're good teams, yep. and they might ultimately win the national championship, but they haven't proven that yet. TCU, however, has run an absolute gauntlet and deserve to be rewarded for having run said gauntlet unscathed. So while, hey, look, TCU head-to-head, they play Alabama, they play Clemson, I'm probably picking Bama and Clemson. But it shouldn't be about that. It should be about what you've done. And TCU right now has a really impressive resume. You know what? I I agree with Des. You make a great point, though. That human element, it's hard not to do that, to factor in that strong history and what they've accomplished. But you're right. It it isn't about that. Heather, uh, we look forward to hearing more from you tonight. And, of course, again, uh, the exclusive reveal here on ESPN, the first rankings of the 2022 season. Let's take a look, if you will, at our All-State Playoff Predictor. The most likely playoff fields that could come together no matter what the seating is. And it says that there's a 31% chance the entire four-team field will be made up of SEC and Big Ten teams. That does include two of the three most likely fields at this point. But it's a predictor. We won't know until a little bit later. Time to check on the Capital One fan vote. Tennessee, Georgia. Uh, Athens will host the potential game of the year. Who will remain unbeaten right now, of course, both of these teams are. And Tennessee holding just over 50% of the votes. Don't forget to get your vote in on Twitter.com slash ESPN College Football. Well, it's safe to say the Brian Harson experiment was not successful. What mistakes must Auburn learn from in order to make the right choice going forward? Chris Lochek then when we come back. ESPN featured game of the week. Bryce Young and number six Alabama square off against Jaden Daniels 
and number 15 LSU. It is a huge SEC West matchup. Coverage begins Saturday night at 7 Eastern, 4 Pacific on ESPN and the app. After less than two turbulent seasons, Auburn fired football coach Brian Harson on Monday. He lost to Arkansas at home over the weekend. That was the final straw, dropping his team to three and five and in danger of missing a bowl game for the first time since 2012. However, it is not the first time that Auburn has had to pay a coach a whole lot of money to buy him out and not coach. Along with the $15.5 million they will pay Harson two years ago, Auburn paid his predecessor, Gus Malzahn, nearly $22 million after he went 68-34 and 34 in eight seasons with the Tigers. Well, certainly no shortage of funds. Chris Lowe joins us now. And, Chris, that's a whole lot of dollars tied up in coaches who won't coach. But uh, we got to look forward now. What has Auburn learned, do you think, during Brian Harson's tenure? First and foremost, you better have everybody uh, rolling in the same direction. I don't think that was ever the case with Brian Harson. I don't think the power people, the money people really wanted him from the get-go. Uh, he comes from a different part of the country. I'm not sure that was an, uh, ever really a good fit for him or for Auburn. Uh, someone who had recruited in the SEC, had coached in the SEC. Uh, you know, the guy that hired him, Alan Green, was fired a few months ago or pushed out. And again, you look at Auburn and all the dysfunction they've had over the last few years. It's a very complex place. More than anything, they better all get on the same page here or they're going to have more of the same. Yeah, there's no doubt this was a situation that really seemed doomed from the start, Chris. Uh, so having said that, what, what's necessary now? What do they need in a new head coach? You know, first of all, they better have somebody who's not afraid to go toe-to-toe with Nick Saban and Kirby Smart. I mean, you're right there in between two juggernauts, recruiting, coaching. Uh, maybe a bite back kind of coach. Uh, and again, not to, that Harson was afraid to go against either one of those guys, but someone who is recruited in the SEC, has coached in the SEC, who understands what it means uh, to go against those kind of guys. And I think someone that the people in Auburn feel like is one of them. And it doesn't necessarily have to have someone that's from the Southern footprint, but certainly someone that the people there at Auburn, whether it's power brokers, whether it's fans, whether it's just everyday Auburn people feel like, they could come in and fit and be uh, among the Auburn crowd there on the Plains. I think that's important. It's always been important. I'm not sure they've ever been truly unified there in Auburn, Wendy, since Pat died, and that's been a long time ago. Yeah, that's been a long time, and that certainly did not seem to be the case with Brian Harson. Chris, thank you. Appreciate it. You bet. After starting his tenure at Auburn with a 6-2 and two record, things went downhill from there for Harson and the Tigers. He has a 3-10 and 10 record since October of 2021. Harson, the first permanent Auburn coach to finish under 500 since Earl Brown, who went 3-22 and 4 from 1948 to 1950. So it's been a minute. Uh, don't forget the college football selection show tonight. Our initial rankings for the 2022 season, 7 o'clock Eastern right here on ESPN, hosted by my good friend Reese Davis and College Football Live back tomorrow to help make sense of it all.